0: listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for February 21st, 2021, the first Sunday in Lent. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Dr. Justin Crisp. On Ash Wednesday, Father Peter gave what I thought was a really beautiful sermon that encouraged all of us to consider whether we needed a Lent organized around our traditional seasonal routines of penitence and fasting or around an alternative but no less ancient tradition of seeking rejuvenation, refreshment and rest in the weeks before Holy Week. The impetus of course was Father Peter's observation that the past year has in many ways been one long Lent in which we have fasted from nothing less than normal life or at least from so much that ordinarily attends it. I loved his sermon because I have to say, it was just the word that I needed this year. And also because I think that just posing the question of what kind of Lent do we need helps us get clear on what Lent really is. Lent is a penitential season undertaken in preparation for Easter. A season whose spiritual atmosphere, as it were, is an awareness of our sin and shortcomings. But there are many ways of relating to our sin, and one of those ways, I think, is unhealthy, even contrary to the Gospel, and it's a particularly strong Lenten temptation. For many of us, at least for me, this year as we continue to live through a season of pandemic, it's the law of self-improvement. I think there's a tendency on the part of many Americans these days, particularly Americans who are affluent, to think that we need to make advantage of the pandemic somehow. We need to turn it to our use and our benefit. We need to make sure that we're not wasting our time. Because if we don't live up to the standards set by our social media icons and Instagram idols, those who tell us that since the beginning of the pandemic last year, they've meditated for three hours a day, They've clocked 500 Peloton rides. They've lost 16 pounds and taught their kid Algebra two from scratch. They've written a memoir and switched to an entirely organic gluten-free diet. And they now make all of their pets' food grain-free and homemade at home in the kitchen. And just in general, they're living their best lives now. And if any of us aren't, We are destined to be losers or failures at pandemic life. We're going to come out of the pandemic having made just a C in pandemic life. Understand, a C is a perfectly reasonable grade. It's a passing grade, although I know in New Canaan, Connecticut, it's as good as an F. Nobody wants to make a C in the pandemic. Now, I know that nobody goes on social media, icon or not, wanting to make people feel badly about about themselves by positing these unattainable goals of productivity and self-improvement. I know that the intention is to give people hope, right, to give them motivation, to give them encouragement in these difficult days. But I find that for myself anyway, the end result is so often the opposite of the self-love and encouragement which is intended. It's so often self-flagellation and self-dissatisfaction. Two things which, to hear some people in our culture talk, only Christians could be guilty of producing in others. Instagram can be just as much about self-flagellations as the pernicious and insidious forms of Christianity, which are rightly criticized so much these days, both within and without the church. Instagram can produce the feeling that if this person's able to live their best pandemic life, why can't I? Traditions honed and shaped by the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, traditions like ours, traditions like Anglicanism, have a keen awareness of this. Not just an awareness, but a sympathy, a compassion for the way that human beings can get themselves locked in cycles of self-improvement. Desires to pull themselves up by their spiritual bootstraps and be better people only to find in time that they've set the bar so high they cannot attain it. And this is a bar which they equate, which we equate with our own self-worth, even our lovableness. And that kind of failing to reach the bar that kind of C where you hope to make an A can be catastrophic for us psychologically and spiritually. It can make us feel worthless and unlovable. The reformers of the 16th century, people like John Calvin and Martin Luther and our own Thomas Cranmer, the first Protestant Archbishop of Canterbury and the author of the first Books of Common Prayer These reformers called this dynamic law. It's distinct from the law of the Hebrew scriptures. This dynamic law is the absolute standard of human goodness. It's that bar. And the reformers said, it's impossible, simply impossible, for human beings on their own to reach it. Full stop. We will never make an A at being good, not on our own. To it, the reformers opposed what they called gospel, the absolute truth that in Jesus Christ, God pardons and forgives human wrongdoing and evil. Pardons and forgives our failure to reach the bar or make the A and sets us free from it in spite of our unworthiness. Not because God thought we were a particularly promising candidate for holiness. God sets us free from the cycle of do better, live better, be better. As Cramer put it in a homily, of ourselves we be apple trees that can produce no apples. And I love how he follows this up. He doesn't say, therefore, we need a hard lint of self-improvement. Therefore, we need to make sure we prune ourselves better next year. We need to make sure that we switch up the fertilizer. No, he doesn't say anything about that. He says, we be apple trees that can produce no apples. To God, therefore, must we flee. That's it full stop. No Instagram posts, no glow up, no invest yourself. Just flee to God, pure and simple. It's not that no self-improvement is possible. Cramer believed that lives of real and genuine holiness and loveliness are possible. He just believed that holiness followed from God's grace. It was downstream from God's unearned favor and love, in spite of whatever our imperfections and shortcomings might be. Cramer believed that in the words of one of his extraordinary prayers or collects from the prayer book, which we still use today, that we who cannot do anything that is good without God may by God be enabled to live according to his will. Cramer just believed that God loves broken and barren apple trees, just because God does, because God made them. God loves these apple trees that can bear no apples, and so makes them able again to bear fruit in their time, rather than waiting for them to sprout and bud one spring, and then deciding that they might be worth his time. I think Kramer was right, and I find him a breath of fresh air, because I believe that self-improvement as a condition of our self-worth is a law that kills. The God of Jesus Christ, the God who loves in freedom is the one whose sovereign will is, as the Apostle Paul says, the justification of the ungodly, not the kind of godly, not the on their way to godly, not the ones who did the best they could or the ones whose intentions were okay or the ones who were in a tough spot but weren't quite as bad as they could have been, but the ungodly, the Hitlers and the Polpots the murderers and the traitors, the suicide bombers and the slave traders, all the way to those who fudge their taxes or cheat on exams or lie or dissemble or steal paper clips from the office. No matter how large or small, no matter how trivial or heinous, Christ suffered for sins once for all, Our epistle this morning said, the righteous for the unrighteous, not the kind of righteous. Not because God saw we were trying so hard, not because knew we had the best of intentions, but because God saw that sometimes we didn't try very hard. Sometimes we had terrible intentions, and God loved us anyway. Excuse me, God loves us anyway. And that, friends, is gospel. It's the gospel, that God's kingdom is no meritocracy, and thanks be to God. God's way is grace, not grades. And in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the ruler of the universe has somehow satisfied the demands of justice for us and on our behalf by suffering the cross of pardon and forgiveness, not just of our little sins, but of our big ones, the ones that keep us up at night, the ones where forgiveness has not sunk in, the ones we find difficult to forgive in ourselves. And the same God has moreover established a beachhead in every human heart a beachhead in your heart, making us, making you capable in time of lives of genuine love and goodness. Not because you need to be good in order for God to love you, but just because God loves you and therefore promises to make you good. And thanks be to God, still loves you, still loves me even when we are not. The message of this religion of ours, notwithstanding the way it has been warped and skewed at various times in its history, is not be better, but you are loved. And I want for you to know this morning that no matter what it is that you've done, no matter what it is that might keep you up at night. No matter what burden you're carrying or how old or how difficult or how awful or unforgivable you may think it is, God still loves you. And God always will. God has still got your back. God is still in your corner. God is still God for you. And in Christ, he suffered for you in order to bring you to himself, period, end of story, done, world without end. This Lent, let that love slay your law of self-improvement. Let yourself be loved. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.